How you doing out there? Winter taking its last shot at us here. Come on, March. We're in Matthew chapter 12 here as you get your Bibles out. We're going to be in verse 43. We're going to do a few verses this morning. It's a beautiful day out there. It's the sun shining. We're going to talk about demons this morning. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 43. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for this study. Father, I pray that you would quicken our understandings this morning. Our minds would be alert. Our spirits would be receptive. And our hearts would be open, Lord, for you to drive truth into us. Father, we pray this morning as the word goes forth that uh, the Holy Spirit would allow it to accomplish its purpose in us today that you would change us from the inside out with these treasures from your word, Lord. Help us to see clearly into the spiritual realm and to be those who discern the times and hear the voice of the Lord in this hour. Father, I pray all that in Jesus' name and the church said. Matthew chapter 12, part 8 here. This is our eighth Sunday in Matthew 12. Uh, by God's grace, we're going to do one more. I have nine sermons out of this uh, chapter here um should the lord tarry and we get to meet back here on sunday we'll do nine but verses 43 through 45 jesus again speaking to the the religious crowd and having a rebuke for them as we covered last week and now he shares somewhat of a parable with them that gives us insight into the kingdom of darkness matthew 12 43 begins here it says When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. Jesus talking to the religious crowd, talking to their generation. Why? Because they had just last time asked him for a sign. He said, you know, give us a sign that we might believe in you. The the Pharisees were asking Jesus to perform for them so they could evaluate him as if he hadn't been healing the sick and raising the dead and opening blind eyes, as if he hadn't been doing signs and wonders and miracles everywhere. They say, oh, you do a sign for us. Perform for us, Jesus, that we might believe. Jesus was not impressed with their request at all. He refused to perform for them, and instead he winds up rebuking them. Now notice this passage here. As we've gone through Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was first accused by this group of leaders for collaborating with the devil. They said, oh, well, he he only does miracles by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Understand when, when your enemies or your adversaries can't explain away your success, they attack you and, and speak something that's a total lie. Jesus said, look, uh, you know that I'm not of the devil and you know the kingdom of God has come to visit you. And then he turns it around and he basically says to these guys in this occasion and on other occasions, you know, your father is the devil. Don't claim Abraham as your spiritual father. You're not acting like Abraham. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. But he says, your father's not Abraham. Your father's the devil. Wow. 
So they accused him of working with the devil. He turns it around and says, no, you've accused me of what you actually are. And we noted that, that people of poor character will often do that. They'll accuse you of what they are. To a liar, everybody lies. To a thief, everybody steals. To a gossip, everybody gossips. Bad character projects its own bad character on others. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You know who I am. You know that no one could do these things unless they were from the Father, unless the kingdom of God was with them, but yet you harden your hearts. Now, the last time we were together, Jesus spoke judgments over them. He called their generation a wicked and adulterous generation. Now, before we get too excited, I wonder what Jesus would say about our generation. Amen. We, we, we don't have too much wiggle room here to get excited about the fact that Jesus is pointing out all of the hypocrisy and the compromise and the lack of true spiritual discernment. He says the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south will be better off on you than you on judgment day. He said tax collectors and prostitutes are ahead of you. They're doing better than you guys. Wow, understand this exchange that we're, ha we're seeing here in chapter 12 is, is heated and it's deep and it's not just, you know, uh, pleasantries back and for forth. These, these two kingdoms are clashing. The kingdom of darkness is clashing with the kingdom of God. Jesus is not backing down. He's holding his ground and he's speaking truth. Now, in verse 43, Jesus uses uh, this kind of a, as an illustration, he talks about uh, demons and demonology, and he gives us some insight into the kingdom of darkness, but he's using this as an illustration to show the dire situation that that generation is in. After he says all of what he says about the unclean spirits, he says, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. So understand, Jesus is speaking this as a warning to them, a warning to us, and he's also giving us insight into the kingdom of darkness. Are you ready this morning? Verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, let's stop. The fact that an unclean spirit can come out of a person obviously implies that they can also go into a person. Hello? Now, listen to me. This is not science fiction. This is not drama. This is not allegory. I want to start off by saying, you know, that the devil is real. He's not a guy in a red leotard with a pitchfork. He's not that little, you know, we've seen it on TV, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and he's always trying to whisper, do the bad thing. You know, he's got the pitchfork. That's a caricature. The truth is that the, the devil, the, the adversary that we face is very real, and a lot of us in the West have ignored the fact of that reality and, and say, you know, it's folklore, it's fiction, it's not true. But I want you to understand something as we dive into this this morning. The devil is real, demons are real, the kingdom of darkness is real, and hell is real. And without Jesus, we're all headed there. Because Jesus is the only one who delivers us from the sin that requires eternal judgment. Amen? The people of God who know the presence of God and know the spirit of God understand the spiritual realm. But we have a whole generation who denies the existence of evil. And it's affected everything about our culture. When an unclean spirit goes out, means an unclean spirit can go in. 
there are a few questions that are generated here just by Jesus' statement. Number one is this, what is a demon? In fact, why don't you ask me that? I'm so glad you asked. A demon is a disembodied spirit. See, they have been disembodied because they were cast out of heaven with Lucifer when they rebelled against God. And because they're disembodied, they seek to possess a body so that they can express themselves. Now, how did these demons find themselves in this state? Well, in heaven, when Satan, Lucifer, rebelled against God and tried to be God, a third of the angels were wiped out with them because they sided with them. And when they fell, they lost all of their glory and all of what they were in, in being angels. Now, understand something. Angels are created beings of God, and they have their glory because they reflect the presence of God. When the devils fell with Lucifer, they no longer reflected the presence of God, and so they have nothing in and of themselves. They're disembodied. They have no glory. They're in a wretched, ugly, physical state. And they're not happy. And they're angry. And they're desperate because their time is short. And you know who their target of opportunity is? Mankind. They've been cast out of heaven they rule over the earth. The enemy is the prince of the power of the air, rules in the atmospheric heavens of the earth, and he afflicts mankind. So a demon is a disembodied spirit. They're always looking to get a body to express their evil. A human body is desirable, but we've seen on occasion that an animal body will do. Remember what the demon said to Jesus, cast us into the pigs, right? So any way they can express themselves or animate their evil, that's what they do. Now, where do demons come from? Revelation 12 clues us in to where they came from. If you're taking notes today, write down Revelation 12.4 and Revelation 12.9, and I'm going to read both of them to you. Revelation 12.4 says this, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and hurled them to earth. Here's a prophetic picture in the book of Revelation of where the kingdom of darkness came from. It, he swept away with his tail. We're going to talk about the great dragon in a minute. But what, uh, it says a third of the stars of heaven. So it, it's a scriptural understanding that a third of the angels sided with Lucifer and rebelled against God and were kicked out of heaven. So that where did demons come from? They're fallen angels. Listen to Revelation 12.9. And the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth with his angels who were thrown down with him. Is that clear enough for everybody? That's where demons come from. They came from the rebellion. They sided with Lucifer. They were kicked out of heaven. They were about a third of the angels and they fell. They're disembodied. They no longer reflect the glory of God. They are now an adversarial kingdom in and of themselves that conflicts with the kingdom of God. That's what we're seeing here as Jesus clashes with these religious devils who really care nothing about people or nothing about God. They're all enamored with their power and their authority over others. And these two kingdoms are clashing. You and I need to understand a little bit about the kingdom of darkness so that it doesn't take advantage of us. We don't need to get so caught up in it. Oh, you know, the devil this and the demons that. And look, I go throughout my whole day without worrying about the devil. I found out that if I can get as much Jesus as I can get in a day, I don't need to worry about the devil, amen? 
But we shouldn't be ignorant of his kingdom or of his devices, as the word says. So demons came from the fall. They're disembodied spirits. Uh, They're a third of the angels. Now, what do demons do? Demons are slaves to the kingdom of darkness. Now, listen to this. Unlike the holy angels of God, the two-thirds that did the right thing, angels of God are ministering spirits while demons are afflicting spirits. Demons have one purpose, to afflict what God loves, and what God loves is people. God loves mankind. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves me. Amen. Do it in faith, even if you got. Because God loves you, that puts a target on your back because the darkness hates you. You say, why does, why does the darkness hate me? I'm just minding my own business. Because you have the p- potential to repent and be saved and spend eternity in the presence of God. And they don't have that potential. They've lost that right. They're fallen. They're in a miserable state. They're, they're afflicting spirits. Angels are ministering spirits. God's angels minister to us as the people of God. They strengthen us. They prepare the way for us. They, they hold up our hands when we're in situations. You understand what angels are for, amen? Come on, they're not just little fat baby cherubs on, on, on clouds playing a harp. They're ministering spirits. The darkness is the exact opposite. They are afflicting spirits, and they seek to afflict mankind. You say, Pastor, how do they afflict mankind? There again, you're asking all the right questions this morning. They afflict mankind in two ways, through oppression and possession, okay? If you're taking notes again, uh, write it down. Demons afflict people through oppression or through possession. Let's talk about those two things this morning. Oppression is an external influence. It's an outward, external harassment. How many people have woke up one day and just the enemy harasses you all day? Come on, any Christians actually serving the purpose of God with their life? If he's not bothering you, it means you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God or you're dense as a brick and you don't realize it. Oh, why am I having such a hard time today? But the minute you're praying, you're reading your Bible, you're spending time at the feet of Jesus, the enemy is all in your face trying to bother you, trying to resist you, making things difficult, putting idiots in front of you in traffic, having people cutting you off, people who don't know how to merge. All the people who don't know how to merge are in front of you. Somehow, they're in front of you. Do you ever notice how all the people who can't drive are in front of you? And the enemy harasses the people of God. Now, there again, some of us make light of this or we don't acknowledge it, but there have been times in my Christian walk where I know the enemy's resisting me, amen? Sometimes it's so obvious you almost have to laugh. Anybody been there? It was like when I was in the woodshed and got hit by those two logs, if you remember. Come on. So that's oppression. It's external. Uh, Christians are going to deal with this. The enemy's going to resist us. He's going to try and oppress us. He's going to attack our mind. How many have ever had just had your mind attacked and you've been overwhelmed and you've been anxious and you've given yourself over to fear and that oppression that hangs over you? We call it anxiety and everybody's medicated for it. The joy of the Lord is our strength, amen. Yet there is such a level of oppression in our culture. Why? Because we're godless and we're wicked and we've pushed away the things of God. And we wonder why our people are oppressed and afflicted. 
children on antidepressants. I, I don't, even on a, as a bad day as a kid, I was having a ball. I'd get up and get on my bike with the banana seat with the three-stick shifter on it and my big old handlebars. When I was littler, I was on my big wheel, always had my... Come on. Now we got people depressed and oppressed and it's dark and what's going on? Well, oppression is one way that the enemy afflicts people because he hates people. But possession is another way. Let's talk about that. That's, a, that's another situation. While oppression is external influence, possession is an internal influence, an internal spiritual takeover. Remember, unclean spirits are disembodied. They seek a body to express their evil. You say, well, whose body can they take? Listen to me. If you're not in Christ and born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you can open yourself up to the things of the darkness and be possessed by them. It's not Hollywood, it's not science fiction, it's not something we encounter every day, but in 30 years of ministry, I have encountered it many times. Now, this is the part where I look out there and everybody's eyes are like this big. Because we've all seen the movies and we've all seen The Exorcist, and, and I remember that, you know, that can be a little bit scary. I remember as a kid, you know, they used to, I used to flip through the channels and we didn't have cable back then, it was in the Stone Age, you know, and I'd flip on, and I flipped onto the scene in The Exorcist when that, that girl's head was spinning around and pea soup was flying out of her mouth. Come on, anybody. And I'm like, ah. Yeah, I quickly put Scooby-Doo back on, you know. But it's like we have this tendency to get scared by these things. Oh, it's spooky. It's scary. It's something we don't understand. As children of God, we should not be afraid of the devil. Amen? He's under our feet. Jesus has conquered him. He's triumphed over him. Amen? Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So we're not afraid of these things, but we don't need to be ignorant either. But there are people who open themselves up to the demonic realm in such a way that they become influenced internally. Now, you say, how does that happen? Well, when people, uh, listen to me, if you're a Christian and you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you cannot be possessed. Let me try on this side over here. Any Christians over here who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you cannot be possessed. The devil cannot occupy the same space in your heart when you have the Holy Spirit in there. Hey, your heart's not a love seat. It's only got room for one. And if Jesus is there, if the Holy Spirit is there, man, I'm preaching good this morning. Some of you are just looking at me. You cannot be possessed. But if you're not a Christian and you refuse Jesus Christ and you give yourself over to sin, you open the door to your heart wide open to be oppressed and possessed by the things of the dark. Now, how does this happen? Well, the way people open themselves up to these things is, one, again, by refusing salvation. Number two, by participating in the occult. You know, when you're playing with things like Ouija boards and psychics and mediums and witchcraft and all this stuff, that stuff is, is popular, and people play with that stuff. I know in my generation, there's people who played with Ouija boards and all kinds of weird things happened and spooked them out and stuff. Why? Not because that stuff is fake, because it's real. 
And because if you open yourself up to demonic things, I can't tell you how many times in counseling I'm dealing with a person and they got issues and problems that are not going away and, and, and the Holy Spirit will lead us to the place, well, have you ever been involved with the occult? Oh, yeah, I was involved in this and that and this and that. Well, once they repent of that and, and, and ask the Lord's forgiveness and are covered with the blood of Jesus, it loses its ability to afflict them anymore. But playing with the occult is not a joke. And it opens us up to the demonic realm. What about, you know, sexual immorality is another thing that opens us up to demonic things. This is where it gets quiet. Because, you know, the Bible says that, you know, sex was created by God to be within the bounds of marriage, yet our generation is uh, so free that, you know, people in the church live together, sleep together, they date around, they sleep around, and they call themselves Christians. Understand, when you rebel against what God says, listen to me this morning. If you're sitting there and you're doing this, you're fooling yourself. Why? Because when you connect yourself to someone in a sexual way, you create a soul tie with them, and you open yourself up to what they're filled with. Some of us, you know, you got to think about what you've linked yourself to. I am. Sexual immorality is something that we need to repent of and slam the door in our life, amen? Why? Because it opens us up to the things of the darkness. How about people who just have doubt and unbelief and reject their own consciences. We have a generation that sees the oceans and the mountains and the sky and all the wonders of God's creation. The animal kingdom sees the wonders. I can't understand how anyone could see a baby being born and say, well, there is no God, that that's just an accident. It's such foolishness to be an atheist, to be an agnostic. Why? The mathematical probability that all of this happened by accident is an impossible number. It is not, don't tell me it's science or faith. No, it can be both. We can believe in science and what God has made in the, in the kingdom of this world and we can have faith that he created it all and it's not an accident and we didn't come from monkeys. <laughs> come on. But there are people who hate God and hate the people of God so much that they refuse to believe what their conscience testifies in their heart. They know, they know. The smarter they are, the more they know. Romans 1 says we're without excuse because creation testifies that there is a creator, amen? Yet people will harden themselves and harden their hearts. And what does that do? Open themselves up to demonic things. Why? Because they've embraced deception. If you crack the door to the devil just a little bit, he'll rip it open and force his way into your life. So demons are afflicting spirits. They afflict by oppression and possession. The things of the occult and the darkness are nothing to be messed with. The only insulation against the darkness is to come into the light and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we've only gone through half of verse 43. The second half of verse 43 gives us another glimpse into the pathology of the demonic realm. Now, pathology is the essential nature of something. The pathology of a demon is this. Look what it says. Jesus says, he goes through dry places seeking rest 
and finds none. That statement is revealing the essential nature of unclean spirits. They're restless, they're anxious, they're looking for rest, they're looking to, for an avenue to express their evil, but they have a hard time finding a place. Their essential nature is to hunt for the souls of men, to harass, to afflict, to oppress and possess until they can find a place to express their evil. When we look in our generation, it seems like there's no shortage of places for the darkness to express its evil. When we look at what's going on in the earth and the signs of the times and wars and rumors of war, when we see what's happening in Ukraine, just the, the abject evil of murdering and killing civilians and women and children, I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a time where we look around and go, what has the world become? where we thought we were civilized, where we thought we had respect for life, where we thought we could have a global uh, 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 perspective of, of nations, where now we see just barbarism. We haven't seen this level of evil express itself since Adolf Hitler plunged the world into World War II. And some think we're on the precipice of World War III. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to go into the next world? Do we love our lives so much that we can't even entertain the possibility that, you know, this might be it? Oh, Pastor, you know, this is, this is depressing, and I, I came out in the snow, and this is what you're giving us today. <laughs> Look, I'm just preaching what's in the text here, amen? And we got to think about these things. Are, are we ready to stand before God? We need to get ready. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. The essential nature of a demon is restless and uh, seeking it, uh, to express and animate the evil that's in them. Uh, verse 44 shows us that uh, demons especially seek out those that they've had past success with or past experiences with. If they've ever been driven out for whatever reason, they're always revisiting the person that they've been driven out from to see if they can find a way back in. Verse 44, I will return to my house. What? You got driven out. Well, it doesn't say why, but for some reason, this unclean spirit was driven out. I will return to my house from which I came. See, they're looking for people they've had success with in the past or experience with, and what? And then he comes and finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Let's unpack some of this this morning. This is a sobering warning to us as believers who've been set free to, to pay close attention to the areas in our lives where we've experienced God's deliverance. Have you been delivered from sexual immorality? Police that area well in your life and be careful because the enemy's looking for a way back in. Have you been delivered from drug addiction? Keep a close eye on who you hang out with and what you do and how you allow your emotional state to get and who you're around. Why? Because the enemy is looking to hook you and drag you back in to what you're familiar with. Where we've been delivered, where we've experienced deliverance, that's the exact area where the enemy wants to revisit and probe us to see if now, once again, he can find a way back in. I will return to my house which I came, and when he comes, okay, we're going to look at that in a minute. But understand, you and I need to be very careful about the condition of our souls. Now, I know, be careful for nothing, but all things through prayer and supplication. Yes, we pray, we live right, but we need to have wisdom in the way we conduct ourselves. 
What we've been delivered from is the area where the enemies had success with us in the past, and he will revisit that to see if he can find a way back in. So what does that say to us? Well, look, once we've been delivered, there's a void created in us that leaves behind an empty spot in our lives. And if we don't fill that empty spot of where we've been delivered from with the things of God or with God himself, we create a vacuum in our souls that's very attractive to the enemy. You see, when we're delivered from something, it it takes a huge part out of our lives. Uh, Whatever that sin was, it controlled us. It drove us. It took our time and our energy and our focus. Now we're delivered from it. Now what? Now we have to fill that empty space with God. If we don't fill it, we create a vacuum in our souls and the enemy clues into it to see if he can fill it. I think about my grandfather who smoked for many years when he stopped smoking. I remember as a little kid, you know, Poppy stopped smoking and now all of a sudden he's he's chewing hard candy. He's got Tootsie Rolls. He's got lollipops all the time. Anybody ever, you know, seen that? It was a great time as a kid because he always had candy. You could always bum a Tootsie Roll off him. But, you know, I, I noticed that, and, the, and, the, and I, I saw that physical manifestation of when something is removed, it has to be filled with something else. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. When, we are, when the, we're delivered from bondage, we have to fill that hole with God. If we don't, the enemy will gladly fill it. I've seen so many people delivered and they get free and now they got, you know, they got lots of time, lots of energy and they fill it with everything but God. Be careful what you fill yourself with. Only God can fill those holes in our souls, amen. We should never allow ourselves, our souls, our hearts, our minds to remain vacant. We should never allow our souls to be idle. Do you know when we're idle and we have nothing to do and nothing to set our hands to, we, 99% of the time, we get in trouble. Who would say amen to that? Amen. Oh, I got nothing to do and all day to do it. You're in trouble. You better find something productive to do, amen? Because if you don't find something productive to do, the enemy will throw something in your lap that's detrimental to your soul. And you'll say, oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this today. Being idle is a dangerous condition to be in. Allowing ourselves to become spiritually vacant is a dangerous condition for us to be in. The story is told about a Roman aqueduct that was built in Segovia, Spain. And it was built in 109 AD. Now listen to this. For the first 1,800 years, this aqueduct carried cool, cold water from the mountains to the hot town of Segovia. And for 60 generations, it it watered the people and refreshed them. Then there came a generation who said, this aqueduct is so great a marvel that we ought to preserve it for our children as a museum piece. So let's relieve it of its centuries-long labor. When they did, they laid modern iron pipe in its place and gave the ancient bricks and mortar of reverent rest. Immediately, the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun beat on the dry mortar. It caused it to crumble. The stones began to sag and the bricks began to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness destroyed immediately. Idleness will destroy us spiritually. 
We can never come to the place where we allow ourselves to become vacant. How does this happen? Well, I've served for such a long time. I've been saved for such a long time. I've ministered to the children and the youth and on the worship team. I'm going to just retire. I'm going to sit back and do nothing with my gifts and let somebody else do it because I'm done. Idle hands, idle time, trouble. What 1,800 years of service could not destroy, instantly idleness brought down. Don't allow yourself to become spiritually idle. Don't allow your souls to become vacant. Don't allow your gifts to become dormant. Don't get lazy in your spiritual growth. Don't treat church like it's, well, if there's nothing else to do, I'll breeze by. It's a dangerous, dangerous condition to be in. Some of you are looking at me like a shark sees blood in the water. I'm just preaching what's in the text. When I come, I find it sweeped and empty and clean and vacant. And guess what? Nothing filled it. So it's a great opportunity for the darkness to fill it once again. You say, what's the point? The point is, is it's a huge risk for us to go back to things that God has graciously and miraculously delivered us from. Some of us get delivered from things that, you know, that some people never do, from drugs and alcohol, smoking cigarettes, from overeating, all of these things, and what? And quickly we, we enjoy the liberty, but then we don't fill ourselves with the things of God, and we wind up going back. Isn't that a sad thing? Come on, anybody ever diet? Up and down and up and down. Some of us have lost millions of pounds. <laughs> Had to keep two sets of clothes. My skinny set, my chubby set, and then a couple pairs of pants for I'm out of control. That. <laughs> up and down and up and down. What is that? Why do we go back? It's a dangerous thing to go back to what God's delivered us from. Verse 45 spells out exactly, you know, the risks here. It says, then he goes back and takes seven, say seven, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. you got to be kidding me. This guy brought friends with him. Seven more wicked spirits. So you were dealing with one devil. Now you got to deal with seven. And they enter and dwell there. Why? Because it's vacant. It's not filled with God. And then it says the last state of that man is worse than the first. That should sober us up today. We go back to what God's delivered us from. It's not going to get better. We're not going to control it this time. We're not, well, we're mature now. We can just, you know, we can sin a little and keep a lid on it. It's just recreational at this point. All the lies of the devil. He didn't drag you back into the filth so that you could manage it. He's going to bring seven more wicked than himself, and it's going to be more difficult. So let's just take a look at this here. The question that I'm asking is why do people go back to what they've been delivered from? And we discussed that, you know, if you don't feel yourself, that's an exposure. We've noted the relentless nature of our enemy. He's very persistent. But finally, we have to acknowledge that one of the main reasons is because we all have the weakness of human nature. And our human nature gives us bad memories, and we are deceived by nostalgia. Let's talk about bad memories. All of us have a bad memory. We look back at the things that we came out of or were delivered from, and sometimes we look back like those were the good old days. 
Oh, man, remember when we used to party, we used to do this, or we used to stay up all night? And wouldn't you want to go back to that? No. It's like, would you like to go back and live your life over again? No. I don't want to be a teenager. I don't want to have pimples. I don't want to have hormone. No. The good old days weren't really that good. It's just that we got a bad memory. And we remember a few fun things about them, but we don't remember the misery and the despair and the oppression and the emptiness and the confusion. Come on. We're also deceived by nostalgia. Oh, you know, wasn't it, you know, and remember this, and look at this picture, and wow, and then it was so good. You got a bad memory. It wasn't that good. You know, you know when the best days to live are? Today. This is the day that the Lord has made, Amen. This is an exciting time to be alive. This is an exciting time to be a Christian in the earth. This is an exciting time to be part of the family of God. We are seeing uh, historical things unfold in our generation. We're seeing signs of the times and, and the, the, the prophecies being fulfilled and the coming of the Lord being imminent. This is an exciting time to be alive. Open up your eyes and see. And don't be deceived by nostalgia and a bad memory. But that's human nature. Do you know the greatest case in point of this truth is this. You see it in how the Hebrews spoke about their deliverance from Egypt when they were slaves. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 gives us a snapshot of the Hebrews who had been delivered from Egypt as slaves. Now they're out in the wilderness with Moses and they're complaining because they don't have any food to eat that they want to eat. Listen to verse 4 of Numbers 11. Now the rabble who were among them, doesn't God speak kindly of complainers? You're a complainer? Okay, rabble. Now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings, and the sons of Israel also wept again and said, listen, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat for free in Egypt. Oh, free, but you didn't get paid for all the work you did. Bad memory. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone and there is nothing at all to look at except this manna. If you're not getting this, I don't know what to do with you. Look how our appetites get us in trouble. It's always about the belly right there. They're saying, we don't want to eat this manna, this same old garbage. And look at the bad memories. Look at the nostalgia. We used to get fish for free. Yeah, but you used to work 20 hours a day and don't get paid. And we had this and that, and we had melons and cucumbers and garlic. I'm feeling you with the garlic, but I, don't, I still want to go back to Egypt. And, and they're romanticizing their bondage. And they're saying, I want to go back to it. It was better off when we were in bondage. Who's going to give us meat? I want a ribeye. And I want a medium rare. I don't want the grill marks on it, just perfect. And I don't want manna. We need to be careful about our appetites. We need to be careful about nostalgia because it can warp our memories. And it can get us to yearn for things that we experience in bondage and make us to forget all of the misery that was associated with being in bondage. God help us today. 
to see clearly, to have spiritual understanding, to be willing to eat manna and to humble ourselves while the world parties. Because listen to me, there's going to be a day when the world weeps and mourns in eternity, but we're going to celebrate in the presence of God forever. If I have to suffer now so that I can be with Jesus for eternity, so be it. Bring on the manna. Hey, I'll put some hot sauce on it. We'll make it work. Red hot can fix anything. I'm just looking at the people who won't even smile. Ushers, write their names down. So the Hebrews had bad memories, and they were affected by nostalgia, and they wanted to go back to bondage because they forgot what was there. And this is a case in point for why people go back. It's human nature. God, help us to overcome our human nature and to have spiritual maturity in its place to understand if we suffer now for the things of the kingdom, so be it. We're not going back to the bondage of our past. Verse 45 lists two risks, and they warn us about them, and I want to cover them with you as I close down today. Going backwards, the first risk to going backwards, we're talking about backsliding, of going back to what we've been delivered from. The first risk of going backwards is that we are going to face new levels of spiritual resistance. Look what it says here. It will bring seven spirits more wicked than himself. Going back to to sin, going back to what we've been delivered from, going back to drug addiction and alcohol addiction and pornography addiction and sexual immorality, when we go back to that, it never gets easier. It gets worse. It gets worse every time. Why? Because now you're contending with new levels of spiritual resistance. Seven times more. You thought it was difficult dealing with one devil. Now I brought all his worst friends. Understand the danger of going backwards, of backsliding. Guard your heart and your love for Jesus. What was the word of the Lord our sister brought here this morning that we would rekindle our love for Jesus? Amen? That's the word of the Lord for us. That we would be so in love with Jesus, we wouldn't even think about, you know, you know, going back to that nonsense. That we wouldn't even be deceived that, oh, you know, when we had, oh, this was fun, we had all the laughs we had. Oh, help us, Lord. Proverbs 26, 11 shows us the utter insanity of going back to what we were delivered from. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. We've all seen, now I know it's early and some of us are thinking about lunch already, but let me just look at this proverb here today. All of us have seen dogs throw things up and eat them again. I love dogs, but I don't love that. And the scripture uses it as a picture. It's as if when we're looking at them doing that, you're like, what are you doing? Why are you eating that? We put good stuff in your dish. You know how much that stuff costs? The dog's just looking at you. It's a picture of how foolish it is to go back to the things that God's delivered us from. Why? Because it's not going to get easier. We're not going to be able to contain or to control it. The spiritual resistance is going to be seven times hotter. And the truth is we couldn't handle it when it was at a level one. Now at a level seven or eight, I don't know. Why would we do that? Number two, 
Going backwards will drag us deeper into the abyss of sin and bondage. Look what it says here. This should sober us up as we close with this. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Oh, the Lord's done good things to me. I believe I've received Jesus, yet I've allowed myself to stay spiritually empty and I've allowed there to be a void in my life and I haven't filled myself with God. I attend church. I listen to the message. I, I say yes and amen in the right spots, but I'm not really serving God. I'm playing games with God. And God's saying, if you're doing that, you're opening yourself up to get snared and sucked back in, and you're going to be in worse shape than when you started if you go backwards. Today, I hope we allow Jesus' words to give us insight into the nature of the kingdom of darkness that we would not be ignorant of the devil's devices. He's trying to snare us and drag us backwards and take us back into sin. Every area of compromise, where we compromise and we blur the lines and we give ourselves license to do things we know are wrong is giving him a void to fill, to hook us, to drag us backwards and to destroy us spiritually. The enemy is not playing and we need to get serious about this gift of salvation we've been given. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for the word. I pray, Lord God, that you would break the hardness of our hearts that have come through stubbornness, where we felt your gentle tug and your warning, and we've given ourselves license to, to sin and do what we want to do as if it's okay and that it doesn't matter. Father, help us to see spiritually and be mature, not to be deceived by nostalgia, not to have bad memories, not to romanticize the past and the bondage and what the enemy calls fun, but to rejoice in the Lord and in the salvation we've been given through Jesus Christ. Allow us to fill ourselves with the things of God the things of the kingdom of God, to be excited about being used, to offer all of our gifts to you, to be useful in the kingdom, to never sit back and to become idle, but to stay active so that our souls will be safe. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning.